Are we going to appall you with something confidential and disgusting? Let's hope so, because that is what you really like. Unconfessed crimes of buried wickedness. If that is what brings you to us, the prospect of hearing horrors, you shall not go unrewarded. I don't believe it. The whole city is talking. You hear it all over. What a story. What a scandal. What a comedy. What a tragedy. Incredible. I don't believe it. Who can believe it? What horrors have you heard? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us at once. Tell us about Wolfgang. Amadeus. Mozart. Mozart. Mozart? <laughs> How good is he, Miss Mozart? He's remarkable. He's an unprincipled, spoiled, conceited brat. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music is not. He is divinely inspired. He is arrogant, vulgar, obscene. He creates music for the gods. He is passionate. He burns with fire. He is an angel. He is a devil. He claimed he'd been poisoned. Some said he accused a man. Some said the man was Salieri. Salieri? Salieri. I don't believe it. All the same. Could it be possible? Did Salieri do it after all? Did he murder Amadeus? Amadeus, the man, the music, the magic, the madness, the murder, the mystery, the motion picture. Amadeus, everything you've heard is true. Welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and today I am joined by that rebel of rock and roll, Adam. The Ayatollah of rock and roll Different Wait, film. Wait, no, that's a, yeah, different that's film. That's actually two different films. <laughs> uh, Mad Max and... Heartbreak Ridge. Heartbreak Ridge, that's right. <laughs> we have to do Mad Max at some point. Yeah, we do. We but, really do. Uh, or The Road Warriors. Sorry, Mad Max is part one, Road Warriors two. That's with that's with uh, Lord Humongous, the Ayatollah of rock and roll. I don't <laughs> want to know. Why he, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> Let's talk about the powdered wigs instead, okay? All right. So we're talking about Amadeus, which premiered on the 19th of September, 1984. It was directed by Milos Forman, and it was written by Peter Schaefer based off his play, which he wrote as well. I've seen it. It's a wonderful play. I saw it here oh, really? in the theater. Yeah. I saw it at theater Calgary about 15 years ago. It was pretty wild. Cool. It's starring F Marie Abraham, Tom Hulse and Elizabeth Barrage. And it was rated R it cost 18 million to make. And it made 51.9 million, which is a little surprising. 
I think mostly because it's you know it's not a blockbuster. It's you know it's, it's a historical it, biopic, sort of. But yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that. Well, so yeah, so this was a kind of a big deal. It was nominated for eleven Academy Awards. Both Tom Hulse, who played Mozart, and F. Murray Abraham, who played Salieri, they were both nominated for Best Actor. Okay, uh, F. Murray Abraham won it. It won eight of them. It won Best Picture, Best Actor for F. Murray Abraham, Best Director, Best Costume Design, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Makeup, Best Sound. No kidding. Yeah. It was nominated for six Golden Globes. It won four of them. And the soundtrack was a, a raging success. That I believe. Yeah. It's how I came to know Mozart. Mm. Only to discover that the movie is 100% bullshit, oh, which is yeah. this whole other thing. But the, yeah, even the, even the soundtrack was super, super popular. It's kind of neat. They filmed it in, uh, I think it was Prague or somewhere like that. You know, so, so they found it. They didn't have to build any of the opera houses. They actually used an opera house. And they mm. just kept redressing it to make it look different. Right. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I saw the play when it played in Theater Calgary. It was pretty cool. They made some interesting choices, including having Mozart. I mean, everyone was in proper costume. Okay. Except that Mozart had blue jeans. Ratty okay. blue jeans with holes. Because he's the rock star, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they chose for Salieri, this magnificent actor who is black. Hmm. I guess the idea is he's the odd man out. And I wanted to show that. Though, I mean, frankly, if that actor had auditioned for me, I would have let him play whatever he wanted. He was, I, I never thought I would find someone who was better at Salieri than F. Murray Abraham. But this guy comes pretty damn close. So it was, oh, okay. it was pretty, I should have, I should have looked up the, uh, the casting crew on that one, but it was pretty impressive. So this is ostensibly the story of Mozart and his arrival in Vienna as told by someone who presents himself as his rival, the court composer Antonio Salieri. What I've learned over the years, and I've seen this movie a hundred times probably, is that this is, there's a, an ancient author named Suetonius. He was a, actually, he was a secretary for some minor official in the Roman government. And he wrote a book called The Twelve Caesars, I think it was called. Now I'm embarrassed. Now I have to look one second. Otherwise, I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> I would have looked like an idiot if I got that wrong, considering what my first degree is. And yeah. <laughs> so Suetonius wrote this book called The Twelve Caesars, which was about the first, well, it was about Julius Caesar and then the first 11 emperors. Right. But it was like the, the National Enquirer version of their lives. Okay. So he included every rumor, every bad story about them. If someone had something mean to say about Nero, he included it as if it were true. Okay. And so it was like the National Enquirer version of these these 12 men. And this is kind of like that. It's like, what if a uh, a tabloid writer had written the story of Salieri and Mozart? That's what this mm -hmm. is. Because yeah. so much of it is not true. Like the idea that he didn't have uh, uh, students. Well, he did. In fact, it was a student who finished his great mass that he died in the middle of writing. Things like that. Salieri did not kill him. He died actually, I, th I think, of gonorrhea from his cousin. So... Hey, I mean, he was a party guy. What can I say? But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of neat because the whole framing of this movie is Salieri as an old man in a sanatorium or sanitarium, 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 sanitarium. He's in the loony bin because, he, because, you know, he's hurt himself and he's, he's confessing to a priest and he's telling the story of Mozart's arrival in Vienna and how they interacted. And he's convinced he killed Mozart and all this sort of stuff. And, I never truly understood just how much of a madman old Salieri is until I looked something up while I was watching it last week in preparation for this. And we'll get there when we talk about uh, the opera Don Giovanni. 
It's, okay. it's very different than I knew. And it was quite shocking. And I grew up with this film. I've seen this film dozens and dozens of times. And it's what made me love this music. But I always had, I always assumed it was true. And this one thing that occurred to me when I watched it last week changed the whole way I think about this film. So, you know, so I guess what? The first time I saw this was when it came out on Super Channel. So probably in, uh, you know, summer of 85 or something like that. Had you seen this before? I hadn't. No, no. This is one that uh, had always kind of blown past me. Yeah. What did you think of it? Uh, it's it's a exceptional film. I mean, obviously, it, it was justified in the amount of awards that it won. It is beautifully done. It is gorgeous from top to bottom. Uh, if I were going to tell someone to watch this for the first time, I would. I might lean towards telling somebody to watch the theatrical cut for the first time that they see this movie, as opposed to having them sit down and watch the director's cut because three hours is a long time to invest into this movie. If it turns out that you're not its biggest fan. Yeah. It's only an extra half hour, I think. Um, and it's funny because I'm still very sensitive to the extra bits they've added because I saw the theatrical cut for decades. Right. So when they say something that I'm not used to, I go, wait, what? You know, it's, it's kind of weird. Sure. And sometimes it's like an extra comment during the confession or an extra scene here, like the scene with uh, the family with the dogs. Mm-hmm. That's all gone. Uh, by the way, that's the Baron Harkonnen from Dune. Uh, oh, actually. really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, we'll go. We'll get into that because it does change some of the scenes that follow, like him walking with the drinking from the wine bottle in the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, I just assumed he was coming home from a party. We didn't realize, you know, because the, the previous scene wasn't there, but. Uh, yeah, this this movie rocks. I joke that the the description for this episode is sex, drugs, rock and roll, and powdered wigs. Mm-hmm. But this guy is the rock star of his day. Oh, absolutely. And like a lot of rock stars, you want to hear his music, but you probably don't want to get anywhere near him mm-hmm. because he wasn't a very popular guy because he, you know, Mozart was kind of a dick. Yep. And I mean, I couldn't tell you whether he had the laugh like that, but to listen to old Salieri tell it, this man was a monster. Of course, the more you watch the movie, you realize the monster's actually Salieri. Yeah. But, but yeah. it's a neat, it's it's a neat flip, right? That here, like anyone who if you say Mozart, they go, Oh, Mozart, amazing music. He must be the hero of this, right? But no, he's presented as the bad guy and Salieri is the good guy. Mm-hmm. But the more you but the the further into the film you get, the more you realize, no, no, this is the villain telling his story. Very much so. It does uh, an excellent job of um of really flipping the audience's expectations because it's just, as you put it, you know, everybody knows Mozart, not everybody knows Salieri. Very comparatively few people are going to be familiar with uh, the works of one over the other. Yeah. And it's, if you um, know the name, it's because you know, this movie, you know, this story. mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's probably a a good portion of people that just know him in passing, um, as a name in classical music. Uh, but anyways, this, this movie, it, it really does do such a good job of telling that specific story of the villain trying to present himself as both vindicated and irredeemable. Um, Salieri just, he does this such a good job of presenting the character as just this tragic, haunted, insane old man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, F Murray Abraham was not much older than me when he did this part. How would you like to get your, how would you like to know you hit your, you know, the the height (laughs) of your career? You know, God damn it, but I'm never going to do better than this. I mean, he did. He's an excellent actor many times over. Uh, you know, I like watching him and everything. But to me, he will always be Salieri. Like, right. What else could he be? 
and Tom Hulse does a wonderful job as Mozart. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Barrage as his wife. She does. I mean, they, everyone does a good job in this. I hadn't seen this film in about a decade when I watched it last week, maybe a little less than that. And I still love it just as much. And so much of that is just the music. Yeah. You know, the Mozart and a little bit of Salieri. And then there's some uh, Roma music, mm-hmm. the, the music where he first encounters so, uh, where Salieri first encounters Mozart, you get the band playing. Yep. That's um, in the in the soundtrack. It's called Gypsy Music. Of course, the proper term is Roma, but it's same stuff. It's good stuff. It's gorgeous to look at. It's yeah. I wonder how much of it they just took from the play. I wonder if that, that's how they managed to keep it to eighteen million by using some of the costumes from the play. Because I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's right there. Sure. I mean, I'd imagine that there's probably some touch up that needs to be done on stage costumes for film. Oh, yeah. But oh yeah, for the lighting, absolutely. Yeah. But um, I, I really think that one of the most impactful parts of this film is presenting the audience with exactly what this music meant at the time, because it is very, very easy for us to sit down today and uh, in the same way as somebody might read Shakespeare and miss the, uh, the real meaning behind the plays, you can sit down and listen to Mozart and really not understand just how impactful this music was at the time and this yeah this film does a very good job of contextualizing that and really presenting uh the character as well as we've said a couple of times now as a rock star yeah and and it's neat to hear it through someone who views who realizes he's mediocre by seeing mm-hmm. this Do you ever see the movie yesterday no it's a wonderful film about this worldwide blackout and this one guy he actually gets hit by a car while it happens and he wakes up to discover he's the only one who remembers the beatles <laughs> And so he starts presenting the music as his own. Okay. And at one point he goes to Moscow. He's because he's, he's, he's become the sort of YouTube sensation. And then Ed, is it Ed Sheeran or Sheenan? Sheeran. Yeah. He plays himself in this and he says, you know, come along and be my opening act. And so they go there and he plays back in the USSR, which of course is a McCartney song. And so there's a scene where, where Sheeran or Sheenan, sorry. Sheeran. Sheeran. So Edward Sheeran says, okay, how about this? You're so awesome. You're going to go through that door. I'm going to go through that door. We're going to come back in 10 minutes having made it a song. And it can't be something you already have. It's got to be made up on the spot. So Sheeran comes back. He sings his song, which is really good because Sheeran is clearly a talented uh, singer. By the way, he was in a scene of uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was. Sing, in... Singing a song, yeah. yeah. Um, and then this other guy comes out and he sings, You know, this. I think it was The Long and Winding Road, which is a wonderful song. And Sheeran looks at him and says, Go! <laughs> No, no vote. No vote. No. That was uh, an interesting moment. I was always told that there would be someone who came along that was a lot better than me, and you are definitely better than me, Jack. Yeah, wow, that was uh, one of the best songs I've heard in my life. I mean, these things are complicated. (laughs) Yeah, obviously not complicated for you, though, right? I think I'm going to go to bed. Someone should probably shag him while they had the chance. Yeah. You're definitely Mozart, mate, and I'm definitely Salieri. Right, Jack. Oh, really? <laughs> and it's just, of course, it's not a reference to history. It's a reference to this movie. Mm-hmm. That's what it's a reference to, that people view it. There's a great podcast called Skeptoid, where they take one subject and they spend about 20 minutes, you know, going through the reality of it. And they did one on Salieri versus Mozart. Mm-hmm. And they point out these two barely knew each other and they were yeah. perfectly friendly to each other. But of course, that's the idea. This is meant to be like the secret history. Right. It's the stuff that now Salieri can tell you because he's confessing on the, you know, the edge of death sort of thing. So, 
Yeah, I, uh, I just, I think this is cool. So let's go through it. Let's see sure. what we see. So it starts off in some, you know, some darkened, you know, we'll learn later, a Vienna mansion and some guy is screaming out, Mozart, forgive me, I killed you. And, and two house guests go upstairs and they bang on the door, you know, Salieri let us in. And eventually they kick in the door and he slit his own throat. And then the, you know, the credits are them just sort of taking him through the streets in a stretcher through the snow and, you know, taking him to what we'll learn is a, you know, is an asylum. And it's neat because as he's being you know, brought through the streets, you know, he's this withered old man and he's looking around him and they're passing ballrooms where music is being played and we can tell it's sort of attractive to him. And, you know, it's, it's Mozart's music that's playing. And then we fade to the next morning and a priest arrives and he comes into this, this hospital, the sanitarium, and it's a horror show, like screaming, you know, insane people, they're naked, they're covered in feces, and they have to be literally, you know, beaten back with horse whips and yep. into this sort of calm, clean room where the wealthy people go. And, and there is Salieri sitting in front of a, uh, a piano sort of plunking away. Well, a and, harpsichord. Is that what that is? A harpsichord? Yeah. yeah. Difference is a piano would, would strike a string, whereas a harpsichord plucks it. I did not know that. See, this yeah. is why you're doing this with me, because you're a musician who played <laughs> in a school band. So, you know, the, the priest sits down. He's this young man. He's probably in his late 20s. And he just listens to Salieri play. It's very clear this old man is, is skilled. And the old man looks at him, Salieri, and the first thing he says is, leave me alone. And then they get into this conversation, and it's very clear that this priest has no clue who who the man is. He doesn't even know who Mozart is. And so the old man says, "Well, I used to be, you know, this popular guy, and I, you know, perhaps you recognize my music." And so he plays a piece, and of course the priest doesn't recognize it. And there's a second one he doesn't recognize, and then he plays "Eine kleine Nachtmusik," which is probably Mozart's most famous piece. Yeah. What about this one? Yes, I know that. Oh, that's charming. I'm sorry, I didn't know you wrote that. I didn't. That was Mozart. Wolfgang. Amadeus Mozart. The man you accuse yourself of killing. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> and, it, and it's really, really neat because, you know, they, at one point, you know, he starts to play in his head music and he starts conducting it he's not on the harpsichord anymore. He's just sort of, he closes his eyes and he's in his head. He's back in his heyday. And we actually get to see young Salieri, you know, conducting a woman on the stage and the, you know, and, and, and he's, of course he's in a room in a hospital and it's very clear. This is a man in pain. This is a man who is not with it anymore. No, no, he hasn't been with it since they changed what it was. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, here's a guy who who's sort of living in his heyday. And, you know, he's starting, he's at that point now where 
he's almost living in the, he's not just remembering the past. He's almost living in it. And so he starts, you know, Salieri starts telling the story of his nemesis, Mozart. I, I'm sure I've seen this in a, as a story trope before where the bad guy tells the good guy's story, but it's fascinating. Yeah. Because yeah. it's such a different way to approach the good guy. It is. It does this nice little job of completely reframing the situation and allowing, really allowing the audience to learn and experience because it, it doesn't provide you the framework of, you know, who the good guy is and you know who the bad guy is. Yeah. And, and the cool thing is, you know, he's contrasting how they were raised that he grew up poor in a small Italian, a small Italian town. Uh, his father had didn't care for music and says, why you want me to, you know, he says he wants to be like Mozart. And the father says, why you want me to drag you around Europe like a circus monkey doing, you know, tricks like a freak. And then we see, you know, Mozart, that's literally what happened. I mean, he was a genius mm -hmm. from probably the minute he could stand. He was into music and he performed for Marie Antoinette. He performed for, you know, Kings. He performed for the Pope. He was dragged all over Europe by his very pious father who worked for the Archbishop of where Salzburg. Yes. And, uh, you know, this is, this is when there wasn't Austria. It was the Austro-Hungarian empire and it was very Catholic. <laughs> uh, and well, that, that's a big deal, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, England certainly was not. And he talks about how he used to pray to God, you know, make me a great musician. And then he says, and then you know what happened? my father choked to death on his lunch and I knew God had arranged it. And the look on the priest's face. Yeah. Like he's horrified. Like you think that God killed your dad for you, but Salieri, I'm not sure if he thought that as a kid or it's the story he's told himself through life or whether this is just now in his old senility, his old age and his senility that he's come to believe, but it's a little disquieting. Yeah. You know, he, I kind of wish that there were more like just even just a picture in picture of the priest's face at times throughout this story, just to see what his reaction to some of this stuff would be. That's the glory of the play. You get to see that. Oh, that's you? essentially your job. Like that's your job. If your cast is the priest to sit there and look horrified for like three hours. Um, <laughs> it's, it's one of the only parts I ever actually wanted to play on stage, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. And so, you know, he, he, the deal was in, in Salieri's mind that he would give him, his his religious dedication he would dedicate his music to him and he would make and he would be chased for him he would remain celibate mm -hmm. which by the way is not true he had uh, a wife and kids and at least one mistress that we know of okay. so maybe he did make that deal but he didn't keep it and it's neat so they talk about you know and it immediately launches into the first time he met mozart or he encountered mozart which was at the the viennese residence of the archduke archduke of of salzburg and it's this incredible affair. And look, I've been to some wealthy parties in my time, but, they, <laughs> but this, this is something else. Oh yeah. It's got nothing on this. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Well, this is royalty. This is literally yeah. royalty. I mean, you know, this takes place. 1783 was a very good year. Mozart wrote his great mess. The Montgolfier brothers went up in their first balloon. <laughs> And England recognized the independence of the United States. Is that right? Yes. And I know that because Connor McLeod talks about it when he drinks the scotch in uh, Highlander. 
So that's how I know when this takes place. Okay. So so you you know put this in the 1770s and 1780s. Mozart was a young man. He was in his 20s when he died. So anyway, he's in Europe, and and these are you know, these are the the estates of, of of European royalty. So this is as posh as it gets. And he's sort of wandering around and. It's it's funny the little the first personality quirk about Salieri we learn is he's a glutton. He oh, likes yeah. he likes food. He likes chocolate, and he follows this food into uh, these servants carrying this food into a room, and he opens the door and he goes oh, and he realizes he said it too loud, so he pretends he's looking at a painting. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's a neat little detail, like the idea that he's so chaste and proper and dedicates his life to God. And, you know, he's the court composer for the emperor of the Austro-Hungarian empire, but man, he loves his chocolate. Oh yeah. You can't uh, keep the guy away from a cake. Yeah. It's, it's really quite funny. And so he sneaks in once that servants are gone, he sneaks in and he starts taking, uh, I don't know what those were, but I wanted, I wanted them. Those little chocolate balls mounted yeah. on a, on a cake with icing and man, my diabetes be damned. I want into that room. <laughs> um, and and he hears this screaming, so he hides. And this woman, and of course they're dressed, you know, dressed to the nines. He's in the, you know, the silk stockings and those those amazing jackets and short pants with the wig. And mm-hmm. she's in one of those wild dresses with the with the wild busts that yep. they, they had in the seventeen hundreds. Um, you know, one one big sneeze, and she's coming right out of those. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing fashion, though. Like it's truly something oh, yeah. else. And. You know, they're rolling around on the floor and they're 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 making foul sex and poop jokes and like Salieri who's hiding is just grossed out. And then you hear the music and, and the guy the kid this this creepy kid on the floor stands up and says, My music, they're playing without me. And the camera zooms in on Salieri and just like, mortified. Oh, he's just, it's like, this is the 17th or the 18th century equivalent of holy fuck. It, yeah. You know, it, it's just like mind blown. Like the look in his eye. Like, again, I understand why F. Murray Abraham won the Academy Award for this because he doesn't say a word, but he's just horrified that this creature on the floor is Mozart. Mm-hmm. This, you know? this person that he idolizes, his mm-hmm. hero, this person that he's given these these dedications to God to is this well he is what he is because wretch. he wanted to be yeah he is what he is because he wanted to be like Mozart yeah and, and it's really something else and then Mozart goes running out and the the look he gets from the Archduke of Salzburg he's pissed so it's pretty clear it's not the first time that Mozart has done this no um, and very quickly we get who these people are Salieri is the prim and proper stick up his butt guy who's got a thing for chocolate. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mozart is this rock star who is anything but prim and proper and guzzles booze. You know what I mean? Like they're the opposites. Whereas Salieri's greatness is in his composure and his mediocrity is in his music for Mozart. The greatness is his music and the, well, not even mediocrity is no. in his behavior. And obviously they're, they're making a point of contrasting the two. Yeah, quite, quite astutely. I mean, they just, they, they show it so well in absolutely every scene, a, a single scene where you have Salieri moving through the ballroom with his hands behind his back, mm-hmm. quietly evaluating people, trying to guess yeah, who this one? musical, yeah. yeah, this musical genius is. And then just after, uh, the, uh, performance 
uh, you see Mozart ushered into this room and he's barely able to keep stride. He, his wig is just loose hair is everywhere. Yeah. He can barely manage a proper bow. Like every single scene is just, well, then he moves the guy. Yes. Remember he's, he's thrown out of the room and, and, and the crowd is waiting for him. So he opens the doors back up and bows to the crowd, which is, but pulls across the, uh, the tails of his coat to, to moon his boss. Oh yeah. my. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the arch. It's not the archduke. I keep thinking of the archduke Franz Ferdinand, but that's a few hundred years later. It's the archbishop of Salisbury. But to be clear, the archbishop, you know, obviously a Catholic priest, he's also a prince. Right. Like he's also like he's royalty who's been made a priest, which is not uncommon. So he's mooning an art, like he's mooning a pretty high ranking church and royal official. That's always a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a quick way to set yourself up for success. But this, the insane part is he doesn't really see a negative repercussion because of it. No, because he's, you know what it is? He's too, he's too good at what he does. Yeah. He's just too good at what he does. And you know, after the sort of the, the party starts to die down, Salieri is looking at the music and he's just, he's so impressed just to see it on the page. And then Mozart rips it out of his hand and sort of storms off. Doesn't even realize who he is. And mm-hmm. like, he's a temper tantrum and it's pretty clear. Salieri is grossed out by this guy. And it's very clear because like the next scene is this sort of this meeting with the emperor and his, you know, his theater, his arts advisors who mm-hmm. are mostly Italian. We learn. Uh, though it's interesting, everyone has a British accent. Yeah. Except the one guy, the fat guy. Yeah, the one fat guy who actually has an Italian sounding accent. Who Who is used as comedy. Yep. That's American, that's American movies for you. Everyone has a British accent unless they need to sound silly. Yeah, unless, uh, unless they're from the States, everyone has a British accent, really. Yeah. And here, the actor, Jeffrey Jones, who plays, uh, who plays the emperor, he's just got his normal accent. He's just, like, he's just his American, his Midwestern accent, yeah. which I actually think works because it makes him seem like royalty where everyone else has a British accent. How do you make the guy stand out in a conversation? They right. told him not to use an accent. I thought it was a really interesting choice. I mean, to me, it's, it's almost more interesting if you have, you know, English sort of just like just North American English transposed over the German, because we know at this point, more or less everyone's speaking German, but yes. we're hearing English. Yes. Um, it would have, it would have made things feel more immersive to me if there was just like sort of standard North American English until you hear something that's not in German. And then you hear an accent. I'm sure most of these actors are from the, from the British stage. Mm-hmm. You know, the only ones who aren't are Tom Hulse and, and uh, Jeffrey Jones. And I'm sure a few others, but like it's, you really get the impression these guys, I got the impression these guys were stage actors. It's just the way they carry themselves. They seem to, they have a very theatrical way about the way they stand. Every actor in this movie with a speaking part is excellent. Like it's just the people with three lines are great. Yeah. It's really impressive to see that sort of thing because so often we watch movies and it's like, wow, most of these actors are just mediocre, but this, these guys like, even with even the guy with the Italian accent who's playing uh, sort of a buffoon, he always comes across as cultured and intelligent. These people clearly, you know, we have the director of the National Theater, the court composer, all these, you know, these people, these are probably exceptionally educated people, exceptionally accomplished, and they're all played so well. Yeah, yeah, there's nobody that's just a throwaway character. Everyone, 
at least seems like they genuinely should genuine would be trying to fit in in a yeah. in a royal court well they belong yeah they and that's exactly what it is this is the part of his court that advises him on matters of the arts and in fact what they're there to talk about is we should commission an opera mm-hmm. and there's a debate well should it be in german should it be italian there's a great little snobbish conversation well all intelligent people all cultured people believe that italian is the true language of opera and i love the uh, the emperor every time he knows he's being bullshitted he goes uh-huh Yep. <laughs> Which is his way of saying, okay, I know you're full of shit. I'm just going to nod right now. Um, yeah. He's going to disregard that and make my own decisions here. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And there's the one guy, the, uh, the German long brown wig. And it's pretty clear. Like he's, he, you know, he's not with the Italians. He's got his own opinion. And he, you know, he's the one who says, maybe it's time we had German, you know, for a German people. And then that night we see that Salieri with his wig off, you know, he is composing something for Mozart's arrival. And this is my favorite scene from the movie. Is it? When he, the music and the, and the, the, like the march that is played for Mozart and what he does mm-hmm. with it. I, I could watch this scene every night. I just, what did you think of this scene? Before oh, you it is, it? it is so exceptional just in the way that it, it portrays Mozart as this young man who is, exceptionally talented and doesn't realize that everyone around him isn't as talented. Um, that, that over everyone. Yeah. He, he doesn't get the impact that he has as an individual and it's just, it's so good. It's somebody who's oblivious to the world and is just so intent on making music that he, he insults Salieri a solid five or six times in the course of a casual conversation when he's just trying to make light, light chit chat. Yeah. He doesn't mean like, I don't think there's a mean bone in Mozart's body. No, uh, he just well, doesn't read. Well, maybe, I mean, you know, everyone has a mean streak, but in this scene, he's being genuinely nice. He just doesn't mm-hmm. realize that he keeps saying the wrong thing. Yeah. Uh, so the scene is that, you know, the next day where Salieri has brought this, this, as he calls it a trifle, this small piece of music in honor of, Mozart's uh, arrival and the emperor says, can I play it? Which of course is a huge honor. We go, okay, whatever. But for them, that's a big deal. Like you're going to play my, my piece of music while Mozart comes in. Like my God. Delightful chord composer. May I play it when he comes in? You do me too much honor, sire. Bring in here Mozart, please. But slowly, slowly. I need a minute to practice. Which is funny in its own part with those two, the two royal guards very slowly walking down mm-hmm. the hallway with Mozart trying to get around them, and they and he can't, and <laughs> and then they walk into the room where the where the uh, where the emperor and his people are, and the the uh, guards slam their pikes together to stop him from coming in. It's really funny. Oh yeah, it it does such a good job, and then Mozart is is finally allowed into the room about halfway through the piece. Yeah, and he rushes over to the wrong person and starts groveling. Yeah, he, uh, without... he bows to Count Orsini, and yeah, remember the look on the Italian's face the way they backed up in horror. Yeah, because he doesn't know who the emperor is, and he probably doesn't care either. But well, he probably doesn't expect the emperor to be the guy, you know, mostly well playing a, a yeah. chintzy well, what... harpsichord piece for him. 
Orsini just sort of points over to the dude behind the harpsichord and Mozart's surprised and of course everyone applauds because they're kissing the emperor's ass and there's a big discussion about you know we want to commission an opera from you and he says you know did we decide on what language and and he says we'll make it be German well he says why German he says well I guess it could be in Turkish if you want and he says well I've already got this great libretto and I had to look up these terms the libretto is the story behind the opera mm-hmm. and he says it's about a harem and they're horrified because harem is a whorehouse in yeah. Turkey and it's scandalous and he says you know it's perfectly it's you know it's perfectly moral great german values and salieri who already has given up on hero worship goes oh really what would a german value be as a foreigner i'd love to learn yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's not indecent it's highly moral majesty it's 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 full of proper german virtues excuse me majesty but uh, what do you think these could be Uh, being a foreigner i would love to learn well, tell him, Mozart, name us a German virtue. Love, sire. Oh, love. Well, of course, in Italy, we know nothing about love. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you do. I mean, watching Italian opera, all those male sopranos screeching, stupid fat couples rolling their eyes about, that's not love, it's, it's, it's just rubbish. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, t- don't don't hold back there, uh, Wolfie. Tell us what you think. Yeah, um, exactly. It was it was wild. And so they they decide it'll be in German. And the Emperor says, Well, here, you know, have have this, which is the music that Salieri gave. He says, No, no, I've already got it in my head. Oh. This is yours. Keep it, Majesty, if you want. It's already here in my head. What? On one hearing only? I think so, sire. Yes. Show us. And they all look at Salieri like, dude, <laughs> it was really funny. Well, there, um, there's that. There's the fact that he then starts improvising on spontaneously. On the fly, and, yeah. <laughs> and and improving on it. This is after having, when he was first introduced to Salieri, he goes, oh, Salieri, I, I'm very familiar with right. your work. I did several variations on your, I don't remember which piece it was. I uh, so There are some very, what was the phrasing? Very interesting uh, results was, that came out of that little experiment. Yeah, that, that's silly. Yeah, it was a silly tune, but we, silly good tune. things came Thank of you. it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, ouch, because yeah. it was one of Salieri's great operas. And it's like, mm-hmm. again, like, like we said, Mozart doesn't mean to be mean. He's yeah. just clueless. He has no social skills. I mean, he does have social skills, but the minute he starts talking shop, the the barriers come down. And that's true even when he's on his own talking with Salieri later in the film. When they talk about music, his shields come down. But when they're talking about something else like, can you loan me some money or this or that, he's much more formal, much more serious. Yeah. Certainly he's not, you know, he's very formal with the emperor, again, until they start talking about music. And then he sort of lets his hair down, so to speak. But I think that's neat because, again, that's that's sort of his personality quirk. 
we learn about Salieri is he's a glutton for candy, for chocolate and sweet stuff, uh, which we'll learn later as well. But in, in Mozart's case, his, his really serious personality quirk other, uh, quirk, other than being, you know, foul-mouthed and gross and pretty horny, I know, young 20-something guy, what a shock, is that the minute you get him engaged in talking about music, he stops being polite. Like, he just, he, he just runs away. His, his mind runs away with itself. Yeah. Uh, and he starts stepping on toes. And it's pretty quick, pretty clear that by the time he leaves that room, he's pissed off all three of the Italians. Count Orsini is kind of iffy about him. The emperor seems to like him, though. Yeah. Yeah. The emperor is is just flat out impressed by yeah. by sheer talent. And I think the emperor likes him because of the fact that he doesn't uh, doesn't pull punches and he's not withholding his feelings on things like yeah. he he's not bullshitting the emperor and saying oh well this needs to be an italian because x reason saying no let me let me write it in german let me build this thing for you that is something that is so much more for your culture yeah and i think he likes that but i think he also likes watching this young twerp take his advisors down a notch because they're oh, so certainly. impressed they're so impressed with themselves and it's clear just by watching, you know, when you see him in the background of a scene, Jeffrey Jones did a great job of this, just sort of looking and watching him take these pompous old bastards down. Uh, and it's hard not to be amused by how amused the emperor is by that. Oh yeah. I, I really like that. Uh, it's pretty cool. And the whole scene, like I said, it's my favorite scene, just watching, you know, Mozart just steamroll over Salieri's feelings and then steamroll over the other, uh, you know, the director of national theater, all that sort of stuff. And then we go back to, uh, you know, old Salieri and it's clear at this point, he's angry. He's, he's talking, he's at the, the point in the story where he's very, maybe not angry. He's disappointed because now he's encountered Mozart twice and they've both been very negative. Yeah. Despite the fact that after that first one, he was just mortified at what a, creepy guy Mozart is on the ground making jokes about eat my shit and sex jokes and like really foul I find those sorts of jokes crude as well like I don't like that sort of humor mm -hmm. but I think we often forget when you when you're looking at the way upper class in a royal setting that sort of stuff is crudeness is just not done no I turn my nose up at potty humor and and that sort of thing it's one of the reasons I I despise Mel Brooks. I don't like his humor, but I am, I'm the least snobbish person in the world compared to the way these people would have viewed someone like Mozart as crude as he was. And still the second time they met, he had a gift for him. He, he composed something in his honor. That's cool. Yeah. I, I think that the scene just after, just after we get old Salieri again, you're seeing just the, the sheet. Uh, just before that, before when Salieri's in his study and he's got uh, a crucifix that he's uh, or, uh, praying to. That comes uh, later, doesn't it? Um, no, there's just a, a scene where he is angrily in his bedroom staring at the wall with uh, Christ right. on the cross. Gracia Domine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, that's this right. Is, this is us just seeing his entire worldview being shattered in this yeah. instance. Is there's... He's got no frame of reference anymore. He grew his, he spent his entire life trying to be someone. And it turns out that the person he was trying to be is entirely different than who he pictured. And there's, there's so much of his personality basis that is just on standing on nothing anymore. Yeah. And it's clear, like from that scene, 
or he he looks at the uh, the cross and says thank you know thank you when he means it like thanks a lot. Yeah. Remember, this is the deal he made with God. Yep. Make me like Mozart, and now he realizes God set him up and screwed him. Mm-hmm. This is what we call a Faustian bargain, and Faust didn't make his deal with God. He made it with the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's the Faustian bargain. I'll make you a rock star, but I get your soul forever. And that's kind of what he's, I think he's starting to realize God has done to him. Yes, he's, he raised him out of poverty, brought him to this, the, one of the cultural centers of Europe, Vienna, and made him this composer, made him the court composer in the court of, you know, one of the most powerful men in the world. And then rubs it in his face here's someone who is effortlessly better than you and everyone immediately likes him. Yeah. And that's harsh. Yeah, that uh, is absolutely brutal. The next big scene is, I'm guessing the next day where Salieri meets his, his student who we learn. I mean, this isn't like a little kid. It's, it's a woman probably in her early twenties who's an opera. She's studying to be an opera singer and he makes it clear. I and mean, he actually says it later that he was in love with her or at least in lust. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of neat because the you know the the priest just sort of smiles <laughs> like, he's like all right yeah 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 he's he's been hearing confessions trust me he's heard much worse yeah. um, and you know the first thing you know I hear you met Herr Mozart yeah he's no big deal oh tell me and mm-hmm. she says I wonder if he has a part for me no no <laughs> yeah no <laughs> you stay away from him yeah but uh, even even before that like they have the the scene of Salieri walking into the room with the students yeah. and she's wearing this ostentatious massive dress that's red and white and this oversized headpiece and he comes yeah, with over the to red her. and white with the red and white ribbon wrapped around the top yeah. it's turkish my hairdresser says everything this year is turkish yeah and yeah. it's just like a day later and or a couple of days later and we see the impact that mozart's already had he wants to write a opera in a turkish harem, harem and that yeah. word has already spread out to everybody everything this year is going to be turkish you know, but I wonder if whether, you know, this is the first time I thought about this. Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not like that. Maybe it's just that she has heard, she knows what the new opera is going to be about. And she wants to make an impression mm-hmm. on Mozart by dressing Turkish. Yeah. Colleen Camp, who played Yvette, the maid in Clue, she showed up for her audition dressed as a French maid. <laughs> Maybe that's what this is. That absolutely could be. Yeah. But either way, like everybody knows what Mozart wants to do. Mm-hmm. There is no secret anymore. And in fact, the very next scene is her on the stage being directed by Mozart and, and Salieri in a box seat, making hand gestures at the other two Italians. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and this is his student. He's, he's talking to the priest. He's like, and then there it was 10 minutes of ghastly scales up and down and up and down. Green little songbird. And, and you can see the look on uh, Mozart's face and it's pretty clear. He's not just the director for her. Ew. It goes on and on and on. And then you know, when it's over and everyone comes for their curtain call, the emperor comes up on stage and he gives a bouquet to this woman to, who's obviously the star of the show. And that's a big deal. Like getting a bouquet from the emperor, that's a big deal. And it's a little comical because we meet Mozart's fiance, which uh, comes as a surprise to the actress. Yeah. yeah it kind of comes as a surprise to Mozart seemingly as well. He, he wasn't expecting any of this. Yeah. And then we meet the fiance's wife, who's his landlady. You said fiance's wife. 
yeah, probably not that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fiance's mother. Fiance's mother. And uh, and that's a little comedy of errors there. It's like, oops. So it's pretty clear that he's been he's been banging the actress mm-hmm. and she didn't realize he was engaged. That goes down well. Now, in the theatrical cut, that's it. Once the emperor departs and the mother uh, faints, the actress slams Mozart in the face with the bouquet and stalks off. And that's the end of the scene. Okay. That's it. Uh, and goes back to the confession. But here there's a whole scene in the changing room where Mozart tries to explain. And essentially she says, wow, she better be good at something, but she can't sing. <laughs> and it's like, oh my. In a lot of director's cuts, you look at a scene and you go, yeah, I'm glad they put that back in. But this was not necessary. Yeah. Did we not know that? Like, is there anyone in the audience who didn't know he was porking the actress? I mean, really? Yeah. And then the actress never makes a a return in the film. No. Uh, So, I mean, it really it really doesn't add much besides bludgeoning you over the head with Mozart's kind of dumb when it comes to sleeping with multiple women at the same time. Yeah. And Salieri goes down to control because that's how it starts, right? With Salieri going into the room. Look, it's clear he he had a thing for her and he's a little heartbroken and. And it's just nothing comes of the scene. Any scene you have in a movie, you have to ask a question. Why are we watching this? Why was money spent to film it, to light it, to script it, to act it, then to edit it? Why? This scene didn't need to be there. There's nothing we don't already know. Salieri is upset that his, his student is in the play. We already know Mozart is banging her. We already know the actress didn't know he was engaged. This scene is a complete repetition of the previous scene. So we sort of go back and there's a little more confession. And uh, there's another scene with young Salieri praying, essentially begging for guidance. Like he doesn't know what the hell to do anymore. And God ain't paying attention. Is this where he burns the cross? No. No? Is that That's no. coming up, right? He's he's still on God's side. He has no idea what to do, but he still believes that God right. believes that God has a right. plan for him. Yeah. Jeez. So then yeah. So then we go back to Salzburg and the arch the archduke or archbishop or whatever he is he's there and Mozart's father is begging him please let me go get let me go to Vienna let me bring him back because we realize now Mozart has moved to Vienna permanently and the father wants to bring him back home because his father is a prude Vienna in this time would you know it's like the sex drugs and rock and roll capital of Europe just much yeah. more prim and proper he <laughs> wants to well I mean and look like you, you don't think the stories about Mozart made it back to his dad oh, uh, so you, you know he wants to bring Mozart back home and he writes don't marry until I get there and he begs for another chance to bring Mozart home and, and the archbishop archduke whatever he says yeah sure you can and that, that's sort of it and the next scene is the wedding yeah <laughs> A quiet uh, little affair. Just quiet a little very affair. understated chapel. Absolutely. I've never seen that much gold in a in a chapel. I mean, it's the na- <laughs> I'm assuming it's like the National Cathedral sort of thing. Yeah. But it's funny because you see, have you ever seen uh, images of the inside of the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C.? I haven't, no. I've seen it mostly because it was in an episode, a couple of episodes of uh, The West Wing. Okay. They actually were allowed to film in there, and, and anytime they have a state funeral, that's where it is. And it's this very... Simpli- I mean, it's huge. You can lay the Washington Monument down inside it, but it's it's very simplistic. This is not a cheap wedding. But here's the reality. The emperor told him, get married as soon as possible and make your home in Vienna. What, what the hell was he supposed to do? Say no? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to keep I mean, sleeping around and I'm going back to Salzburg? No, no. Yeah, the <laughs> emperor of the... Austro-Hungarian um, Empire. Of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the, the place that is currently basically, you know, current period L.A., uh, like artistically wise yeah yeah he's he's told you hey you should settle down here you're 
you're gonna settle down. Yeah, and you're gonna get married quickly. When the pressure isn't coming from your mom, but from the emperor, maybe you ought to listen. Yeah. So yeah, so he gets married. There's a a neat scene afterwards where the emperor decides he wants a musical tutor for his was his niece. Mm-hmm. And he says, I was gonna give it to Mozart and Salieri. He says, No, 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 you shouldn't, which is actually probably a good idea considering yeah. what we know about Mozart. But they decide to come up with this this royal commission where composers will submit their work if they want the job and Mozart refuses. He has an argument with one of the inner, you know, with one of the, uh, with one of the emperor's advisors about it. And he says, you know, I'm not going to do that. There's no way I'm going to submit my music. And in the very next scene, we go back to Salieri who's teaching another student and a visitor has come and it's, it's Mrs. Mozart who well, has, We've even what? skipped a scene there where uh, Mozart and his wife are, are discussing what they need to do in the billiards room. That's right, because he's running out of money, because he spends mm-hmm. money like crazy. This also was not in the theatrical cut. That's actually why I glazed over it. My oh. mind just moves right past it. There. Yeah, there, because he spends a lot of money, but he doesn't make it fast enough. No. You know, it's important, I guess, to sort of stop and, and, and talk about how these people made money. And it's not from composing. Mm-hmm. It's from performance and from yeah. teaching. So yeah, you compose, but no one's, chances are no one is paying you to write an opera. What they're paying is for you to give them the opera so they can show it. Right. And then you'll get a cut of the, you know, a cut of the tickets, so to speak. You know, you can't be paid in advance. I mean, yeah, sure. The national theater can afford that because the patron, their patron is like, you know, the emperor, he's got a couple coins to rub together. Um, but for most of these, these composers, they're making, they're, they're paying their bills with students. And again, here, you know, he keeps saying, no, I don't want students. But in fact, Mozart had students. Yes, he was broke, but it wasn't because he wasn't making any money. It's that he was spending way more than he could ever bring in. Yeah. He was, he was just spending great flipping wads of cash wherever he could. And I mean, he kept working, but he just, you know, too many, too many holes in the sieve. Yeah. Uh, Do you ever see uh, Highlander three? No. Okay, you're better for it. How about the movie <laughs> Crash? Not the one with all the, the multiracial stuff. The other one, Crash by Cronenberg, about the guys who have a fetish for car crashes. No, I actually haven't seen that one. Okay. Uh, there's an actress in both of them. My old roommate, who I've known since junior high, is her cousin. Oh, okay. And she was talking about Hollywood, the Hollywood scene. And I, I've never met her, but you know, obviously you know, she was telling this to Mark, and Mark was relaying it to me. And she said that... There's an expectation in Hollywood that you will be seen at certain parties. You'll dress, you'll spend a certain amount on your clothing. You'll be seen at certain restaurants that aren't cheap. Mm-hmm. In order to work in Hollywood, you must be part of Hollywood. And so people like, say, Harrison Ford, who can say, fuck off and leave me alone until someone shows them a script they like. That's, the, that's rare. Right. Most of these people have to be seen because that's how you get your jobs. You meet the producer at a party. You went to a restaurant and the next table was an actor and you waved and you chatted with them for a minute. It's all about the networking and it's expensive. And so Mozart isn't necessarily being stupid. He's just going a little too far with expectations that are on every composer, which is you must be seen. You must attend the right parties. You can't show up in the same clothes you had last time. You need a new suit. Mm -hmm. And remember, this is before the days of, of Industrial Revolution. Every piece of clothing these people have is made by hand. So everything in these, in these houses is all bespoke. 
So this guy is living the lifestyle that's expected of him, but he's also a boozer, which probably is not helping. Yeah, well, there was there was a scene that exemplified that that we kind of glossed over earlier, where he's getting wigs uh, fitted for him. That's later. And it's just that's later. Oh no, 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 no you're right. It's before he sees the emperor. You're right. Yeah, it's just wig after wig after wig after wig, and it's yeah. just like all of these things were handcrafted and dyed and cut very specifically yeah. by and they're one. They're pouring wine for him. Yeah, and, yeah. Have you ever? Uh, there's a place in town called Supreme Menswear. It's like a really upper class place. Mm-hmm. And I've shopped there a couple times. This is a place I, I certainly can't afford to anymore, but there was a time they will serve you a cappuccino. Oh, wow. When you go in, there is a man who will meet you and he calls you, sir. How may I, you know, how may I help you today? What are you looking for? And you don't say I'm browsing. Mm-hmm. You tell him what you're looking for and he, and he helps you yeah. and he takes your jacket off and he puts the new one on. What do you think of this, sir? Let us look in the mirror. Like it's like that. Mm-hmm. that's not cheap. You pay for that. Oh yeah. And I was just some middle-class dude. This guy is, you know, he's not wealthy, but he's hobnobbing with royalty. Nothing in this guy's life is cheap. Each of those wigs he tried on in that scene you're talking about mm-hmm. probably cost more than anyone who works in that store makes in a year. Oh, easily. Yeah. The disparity between wealth and, and poverty in this era is staggering. Yeah. Nearly yeah. immeasurable. Yeah. Well, we but see that. <laughs> sorry. But well, sorry. I was just going to say we've we've spent enough time yeah, hammering on Mozart's finances from one little scene. Yeah. Uh, so the very next scene comes, and Salieri meets with Mrs. Mozart, uh, Constanza, and she's in uh, she's in disguise. She says, "You know, I've brought all this music for you to look at, and for the royal appointment." And it gets out that Mozart, uh, Wolfgang, Wolfie, as she calls him, Wolfgang doesn't know that Constanza is. Uh, there and would freak out if she knew that his stuff was missing because they're not copies. And this is the first time that Salieri really has a chance to see just how much of a genius Mozart is because he starts looking through the various sheets of music and he says, these are not copies. He says, no, he doesn't make copies. These are all first drafts. And he said, you remember he says it? It's like he was taking dictation from God. There's no, there's no uh, example of correction. By the way, that's also a myth. There are plenty of examples of Mozart's first drafts, and they're full of corrections, but whatever. We're building a myth here. We're building a, <laughs> exactly. a little bit of sprinkling some fairy dust on this. Telling a story. Uh, and we get more with the gluttony where he has those uh, with a candied chestnuts with cherry on top, and they're what they called nipples of Venus or whatever. And this is the only time Salieri, or one of the few times Salieri gets truly monstrous. He tells her, come back tonight. And he says, let me be clear, that is the cost of me uh, considering your husband's work. Yeah. That is not in the theatrical cut in the theatrical cut. He simply in ecstasy drops the music and storms out of the room. And that's it. Okay. Him saying, come back and sleep with me tonight. And I'll, you know, and that's the price that's all from the, the cut. Uh-huh. And she does come back that night and she strips naked for him. And I'm not sure what it is. Is it guilt? Is it disgust with himself? He throws her out. Con- yeah, I think it's I think it's some combination thereof. I I feel like it's him seeing a reflection of the uh, the the nature of Mozart that he so much despises in himself. Yeah, the womanizing, that's, and that's where he burns the cross. Look what I have become. Look, God, what you have done to me. Yeah. See, in a theatrical cut, when he burns the cross, it's after he he in like I said in this act of ecstasy just drops the music. And then the next scene is him burning the cross. It's like, 
God, I have seen this amazing thing you have created and damn you for it. But now I know that the reason he burns the cross, it's been made clear to him what a miracle Mozart is, but also because he has fallen as a human by demanding sex and, and being in the presence of a naked woman who is a, another man's wife. And that makes a little more sense. And then the next scene is also from the, um, actually a whole bunch of scenes are from the director's cut where he's, oh. where Salieri is chatting with the emperor and says, you know, I've heard some sketchy things about Mozart and what he's like with women, which by the way, are th- those are real, mo- those are uh, real rumors. I'm not sure how many of them are true. <laughs> And so, you know, the next scene also, again, from part of the scene, part of this conversation is Mozart begging for money. Yes. And remember I said, when they talk about music, he relaxes, but when he talks about anything else, he's much more formal. And we see that here. He's yeah. It's, it's exemplified even just in the, in the way he's dressed. He's got a wig that has no flyaway hairs. He is shoulders are slumped forward. He is very small in the scene. His, his energy is so far diminished. He makes one joke about um about the food that they're eating oh of yeah. course the italians have their own little little treats yeah. but beyond that it's very much this impassioned please help me as one great musician to another please please help me make yeah. this and salieri says no yeah and he says because you don't want to get in the habit of being known as a man who has debts i mean mm-hmm. look I have debt. I assume you have debt. Everyone mm-hmm. has debt these days, but it's a whole different financial world. Back then, being known as someone who had debts was a big deal, partially because it means you're not good with your money and you're living beyond your means. So instead, he sends him off to teach the daughter of this absolute, <sighs> uh, like, it's clear that money can't buy class. No. Because the father is a clod. He has these barking dogs. The daughter clearly doesn't want to play music. Father and mother are watching and go on play for him. What's your problem? And it's like, this is why Salieri sent him. Let's be honest. Salieri sent him knowing that he would not, that Mozart would not be able to tolerate teaching this kid with his asshole father sitting in the, in the wings Mm -hmm. with the barking dogs and. Yeah, it seems more that the the father is interested in acclimatizing the dog to being around music than yeah, he is any any intention of actually having the daughter learn. Well, I think also he wants to buy some culture for her. I mean, we've all mm-hmm. heard of people, and I know people who they have all the money in the world and no class to be bought. Right. You know the old saying: you can take the girl out of the trailer park, but you can't take the trailer park out <laughs> of the girl. So this is guy who you know this is a guy who clearly he has no class, and being able to say well. Mozart teaches my daughter music is mm-hmm. probably kind of a big deal for him. But Mozart storms out of the house and takes a bottle of wine with him. And the next scene is him in the street drinking from the bottle of wine, which remember, I always assumed it was just, oh, here's random Mozart coming home from a night getting swizzled. Right. Because this previous scene is not in there. And dad is waiting for him. And now we get to see Mozart's apartment and it's a shithole. Well, actually it's not. I mean, it's gorgeous, but it's a mess. And there are a whole lot of bottles there because he does a whole lot of drinking. Can we just take take a moment to yeah. appreciate the scene where he sees his father, though? Where oh, he, yeah. he comes in, opens the door, and there's this figure clad in all black with this huge cape standing and, at the and top a tricorn of the hat. Yeah. Yeah. Backlit by the sun, streaming in through a window. And he just says, Papa. And the figure lifts his arms in just what seems to be this very menacing gesture. Yeah. And the music lends to that.
So mm. up until then, it's like, who is this monster that has come for Mozart? Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're right. It's, it's brilliant. He raises his, his cape and it looks scary, but then he runs and embraces him and it's like, oh, it's dad. Yeah, it really, it's it really good, does good give scene. that, that context for everybody who kind of missed it, that he's his father, but he's not that great of a dude. It's my favorite filmed scene. I can't believe I just skipped over it, but it's the, in terms of the cinematography, it's my favorite scene in the movie. That's fair. Because of that look, it's menacing. And until you realize it's Papa. Um, <laughs> and in the meantime, brings him into the house. They walk into the bedroom. Stanzi is still in bed. And, you know, they chat. And this is where we, we learn that uh, Mozart's wife is expecting. And she says, you know, does your wife not clean up for you? Don't you have maids? No, we don't want them. Don't you have students? No, I don't. Which, again, is not true. He did have students. And he says, you know, let's go for a party. And this, again, it's a sort of, he goes to, he's not going to, uh, you know, M- Mr. Smith's costume shop and Ha Ha Emporium. Mm-hmm. This is an expensive store where they've dragged dad. And they get these guys all dressed up in this in these amazing costumes. And Mozart's father's costume becomes kind of the icon of the film. It really does, yeah. Two masks. One you look for and one in your back. And it's a comedy tragedy. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot of interesting play with which side the father wears at the party. And, you know, he's frowning underneath because he's deeply unhappy with his, fa- with his son. And Mozart gets the perfect one. He gets the horse. Yes. Because he's a horse's ass. I'm oh, sure it, that's what the meaning is. It's gotta I'm be. certain. Absolutely. It must be. Yeah. And so they go to this party. And again, this is not a party for you and me. This is a wealthy party. Everyone mm. is exceptionally well-dressed. Salieri shows up at the party and it's a ball. Like it's a masquerade ball. And he doesn't have a, a costume because Salieri is as prim and proper. The guy dresses like a priest. Uh, so he, he throws a coin at a guy and he gets one of those Venetian masks, mm. you know, you hold and, and there's like it's musical chairs, isn't it? Isn't that what they're playing? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. playing musical chairs with an orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> And Mozart loses and his penalty is it has to be something in the room. And his father says, I want you to come home. And Mozart. Now, Mozart, why don't you name your son's penalty? Yes, Papa. Name it. Name it. I'll do anything you say. Anything. I want you to come back to Salzburg with me, my son. Papa. The rule is you can only give a penalty that can be performed in the room. I'm tired of this game. I don't want to play anymore. But my penalty! penalty. I've got to have a penalty! penalty. He has a little and, temper tantrum. And yeah, petulant and, and, Salieri, and Salieri is grossed out. The guy running the party says, okay, okay, I'll do it. And he says, play our tune tonight and play it upside down. And so they, they have him upside down. And so he's playing over his head and play it backwards and then says, you know, who, you know, whose style should we play it in? And then Salieri, masking his voice, says, play Salieri. And Mozart mocks him mercilessly with this, this, this terrible twisted face. And he pretends to fart mm-hmm. and he plays it badly. And I think that's the end of it for Salieri. Like, that's where you realize, because he, remember he says, that's that laugh, that's God mocking me. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was it. That was the last point in time where he had for for that was the last point for a long time where he had an ounce of respect for yeah. for Mozart. And I like because that choice, does come back. Sorry. Yeah, uh, I love the choice of the mask for Salieri. It's just black. Mm-hmm. So when Salieri's eyes go wide at viewing once again the grossness of Mozart, 
that's all we see. We can see his 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 lips, his chin, and his eyes, yeah. and just how equal parts enraged and disgusted he is. It was a good choice of a costume. Like there's a reason this one best costume and best sound oh, and all that absolutely. sort of stuff. Like every choice in here is so specific, and that would be difficult enough for something like Lord of the Rings, where it's all very sort of medieval and. Mm-hmm. You know, people are wearing garbage and, you know, they're, you know, burlap <laughs> and capes and whatever. But look at the detail that has to go into the sets and the costumes because this is the height of European wealth. Yeah. It will never again be like this. I mean, the way these people live is the reason there was a revolution in France. Yeah. Like, literally, that's why the poor people going, we're overtaxed, we're starving. What is up with this? Yeah. Look at the way these people are behaving. Um, it's a, it's a level of opulence. That's the word it's opulence. And it's interesting because Salieri stands out because he dresses like a priest. Yeah. He's, he's very restrained and refined and it does seem to, to hearken back to that oath that he made that he was going to be upstanding and moral and, and righteous in return for what he was expecting. And it, it is kind of cool to note that that doesn't change. Yeah, I was about to say that it doesn't yeah. change despite the fact he burned a cross. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much more clear do you want to be that he's not working with, he's not on God's side anymore. Yeah. And yet he still can't help address that way because he can't yeah. bring himself to dress in a more ostentatious fashion. Yeah. yeah. So we go back to old Salieri and there's like the only act of violence in this entire movie is he gets angry and he says, this is God laughing at me and now I will snuff out your light and he mm-hmm. blows out that candle and remember it's like it's almost a violent like whew, just the way he does it it's such a violent act for this old man to you know to blow out the candle it's it's pretty wild you feel uh, the the rage and the passion oh, behind it that this man must have felt at the time for now not only has his idol fallen in his eyes but his idol is actively mocking him at a high society function in the most crude and crass way that i'm sure salieri could imagine and through him god he sees Mm -hmm. Uh, so we go to the next scene and someone has knocked on the door and it's laurel she's someone has paid she's a maidservant and and an admirer has paid for her to come work and there's some argument about whether you know whether that's acceptable, the father says, well, you have no references. I'm sorry, we can't accept you. And Stanzi says, look, old man, we slave around you all day. You don't get to tell us how to live. And there's a screaming match. And Mozart goes back to his, I would say his study, but it's actually the billiards room because he writes on the billiards table. Mm-hmm. Um, do you recognize the actress? Uh, it's Cynthia she... Nixon. Uh, her big thing is sex in the city. Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. Okay. She tried to primary uh, Governor... Andrew Cuomo in the last uh, New York governor's primary. Election. Oh, really? Yeah, she ran for uh, she ran for governor and obviously lost to him because he'd been you know, he'd been governor for a while. I think she might win this time. I don't know. <laughs> oh, certainly more people to listen to her. Yeah, well, she ran as a a more progressive candidate. He's a very he's on the right edge of the Democratic Party. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's her. She was she's big on she was big in. Um, Sex in the City. I've never seen an episode, nor do I intend to, but that's her. I think this must have been one of her first movies. Yeah, Cynthia Nixon. The name, the name popped for me. I just yeah. couldn't place where I'd where I'd seen her. Oh, I I didn't even occur to me until I was doing the research for this and was reading through the cast list. I went, oh wait, really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, I I think that that scene there, though, um, one of the best pieces of of fashion that we see for the costuming is uh, what Mozart's wearing there with that 
intricately gilded vest with just floral pattern across the entire thing. It's so just absolutely immaculate. Yeah. And then you compare it to dad's black vest Mm -hmm. because dad is a lot like Salieri. Yeah. He's this prim and proper, even more so than the people around him. He's just this very, um, he's very penitent. He's very religious. Look, I wear almost all black too. And I have, I think probably for as long as you've known me, but I'm not doing it because I'm this moralistic, holier than thou sort of guy. But that is why Mozart Sr. and Salieri do it. They do view themselves as morally above the, above the crowd. Yeah. Um, so the next scene is Laurel chatting back with the person who's paying her, who of course is Salieri. Salieri. And it's clear that she doesn't really understand why it's happening, but obviously he's brought her in as a spy. Yep. And that's interesting. And then there's a sort of a neat scene where Mozart heads off to a concert that he is conducting. And again, talk about the money and living in the Hollywood scene. <laughs> four, was it four men or six men? put the full-size grand piano on their shoulders and trot down the street. Yeah, it looks like six. While he's in an open carriage with his wife, both of them dressed to the nines, and he's got a glass of wine in his hand, like living it up. But then, of course, we realize that the performance is for the emperor in this gorgeous outdoor garden. And while that's happening, Laurel lets in Salieri and shows that, look, he doesn't have any money. He has these snuff boxes where he keeps his coins. Uh, This is before banks were a place you normally kept your coin. Banks Mm -hmm. were things you did business with. It wasn't a place you, normal people kept their money. So we realize very quickly that Mozart's going broke, but then, then Salieri looks at this great work that Mozart's working on, and the first thing he does is he tattles to the Italians, which is that he is making an opera based on the marriage of Figaro, which is a controversial work that is meant to stir up anger between the classes. Mm-hmm. Now Salieri's out. Salieri is out to just screw Mozart. Yeah. We're about halfway through the film and this is still not peak Salieri anger at Mozart. No, but it certainly started. And so, oh, yeah. Mar- yeah. So Mozart is dragged in front of the emperor and says, I oh, hear you're doing, um, you know, we hear you doing Figaro and says, where'd you hear that from? It's just like, yeah, you don't get to ask that. We're mm-hmm. asking the questions here. And and he explains, look, this isn't about class conflict because one thing the emperor mentions is my own sister, Marie Antoinette, because we often forget she was German, is afraid of her own people. Remember, this is the 1770s. This is the beginnings of the French Revolution. And he tries to explain, no, your majesty, this is just, it, it's a comedy. And he starts explaining it. And, and of course, he gets down on his knees and says, he's not here because he's oppressed. He's married. He's measuring out his wedding bed. And then the next scene is, well, the actor practicing it. So, so clearly the, the emperor said, okay, whatever, Mozart, carry on. Because that's the one thing is that he's good at convincing people when he's talking about his music because he's so enthusiastic about it. And as we've said before, this is what the emperor seems to like so much about Mozart is that he's, he's a kid and he's so enthusiastic about, uh, everything. Yeah. Um, he, he sees the passion that Mozart truly has and he respects that. Yeah. But he also likes it. Mm-hmm. Like he just, he likes this kid in spite, you know what it is? He's young, he's brash and he doesn't know his place. And it's clear the emperor loves that because mm-hmm. he's surrounded by kiss asses all day. Yeah. Like I said earlier, he takes joy out of watching Mozart knock the stuffing out of these old guys. And so I think, you know, once Mozart convinces him, there's nothing revolutionary about this play. It's just a fun opera. He lets him do it. But then we discovered there is ballet in this. 
<gasps> yeah, apparently the emperor doesn't like ballet in his opera, so they make him remove it. And Mozart goes and begs Salieri, please, you gotta help me out here. And you know, he says, okay, I'll talk to the emperor, which of course he then says to the priest, yeah, I didn't say a thing. <laughs> um, he says, but then a miracle occurred. And again, it's back to this whole, this whole theory that's going on and you know, boiling up in Salieri's head that it's not Mozart who's against Salieri, it's God. Because there's a miracle. Yeah. The emperor shows up in practice in the middle of this ballet with no music. And he says, I don't get it. Is it modern? <laughs> like, what the hell is this? He yeah. says, well, you've, you banned ballet. He says, but look at them. This is ridiculous. Can we see it with the music? And that's that. It's kind of funny that no matter what Salieri does to screw Mozart over, he just, it keeps getting thrown in his face. And apparently it's quite the triumph. And he just total, totally backfires, backfires on, on Salieri. Well, um, to an extent that yeah. that uh, opera gets approved and is allowed to have a run, but it's a run of like seven shows. Yeah, something like that. It's basically dead in the water. Yeah, and and Salieri says to him, "It's like, look, if the people don't like what you're producing, what are you going to do? Like, you don't even give them a good bang at the end of songs to know when to clap." And mm-hmm. then it goes Mozart again. Yeah, I should ask. I should take lessons from you. It's like, dude. You- <laughs> Yeah, he's your one ally. Maybe you don't shit on him. Of course, you know, Mozart doesn't realize that Salieri is working against him. Yeah. But it's neat because then Mozart goes and sees one of Salieri's operas, which is much more serious. And there's a conversation and we see behind him is a man we've met before. He was the guy who ran the party, Mm -hmm. who we learn is he runs like a people's theater, like low class theater and says, you know, you should work for us. You shouldn't be in the national theater. But he goes home with Mozart only to learn that dad has died. This next scene is where my whole idea of this movie and play changed. Okay. Because the next scene is where old Salieri says next came Mozart's darkest, blackest opera, Don Giovanni. And then we see the scene at the very end of the, of of the opera where this black cloaked, statue come to life is what it is Mm -hmm. breaks through a wall and it looks so much like the first time we saw dad in the stairwell doesn't it it does and it's dark music and this guy on his knees begging and then literal demons come flying down from the ceiling and drag off this main character and salieri is talking about how i alone knew that this was his father resurrected by his son to damn his son on the stage the wig that mozart wears it's it's dark brown it's not the mm-hmm. usual happy white or gray right and as you know we hear the music old salieri is sitting there and squirming in his seat and you can he's sort of recounting the moment he essentially went mad here's the thing don giovanni based on what you saw in this movie is it a comedy is it a horror what is it do you think i mean from from the looks of it it seems to be a tragedy yeah and certainly the way salieri talks about it mm-hmm. it's comedy Oh, interesting. Don Giovanni is a comedy. It's one of his best. <laughs> it's it's based on the fictional lover Don Juan. Okay. And the whole idea of this is Don Juan, who is a libertine, which is to say he likes his sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Don Juan wanders around for all this play, fucking around and drinking around and people <laughs> warning him, now Don Juan, don't do that or you'll go to hell. And at the very end, the devil takes the form of a statue from the man's mansion and drags him off to hell. It's a comedy with a moral ending. Now, now audience don't be like Don Juan or you'll go to hell. It's a comedy, 
But okay. in the in the mind of old sick Salieri, it's a black, dark tragedy where Mozart's own father rises for the grave to accuse his son of impropriety. And it was Mozart who wrote it. You can see how that sort of changes the look of Salieri a bit. Yeah. Salieri thinks that he thinks that he alone can see through the comedy that okay. really this is dark and evil. And we, we start to realize that Salieri is not a reliable narrator. No. He's not quite Kaiser Soze. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he's, he's not reliable because he's not perceiving things properly. Yeah, no, he's, he is at this point going mad. He has lost so much of who he is yeah. from his, who he wanted to be, um, yeah. to this, this monster that he sees in front of him in the, in the form of Mozart yeah. that he's, yeah, he's, he's losing his mind and he's on the way out at this point. Yeah. And he says, you know, Salieri says through his influence, he made sure that Don Giovanni was only shown a few times, but secretly he went every time. And then there's this sort of quiet scene where someone purchases something in a box and we don't see who it is. And they walk down an alleyway and we don't see, and then we see at night Mozart working and writing and there's a bang on the door and there is the costume his father wore Mm -hmm. staring at him. And it's clearly it's Salieri. Yeah. But he masks his voice just enough that Mozart doesn't realize it. Also, we start to notice Mozart is ill. He's kind of pale. He's sweaty. Like he's clearly not well. Yeah, no, he's, he's obviously not taking care of himself. He is up in the middle of the night. He is unshaven, unkempt. Uh, he's, uh, wearing a much more muted costume than we've seen him in previously. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. He's wearing a black, but he may still be in warning. That may be part of that. That That might be true. He's wearing, he's wearing a black vest, Mm -hmm. but yeah, he looks like shit. And it's clear that, his lifestyle is no longer agreeing with him, but the death of his father has weighed upon him. And then here's this guy who says, I want you to make a great mass for a man who deserved it, but did not get it. And it's clear that Salieri wants in Mozart's head for that man to be his own father. Right. Salieri is really messing with Mozart's head. Yeah. And this whole, this whole venture is just horrifically twisted on, it is. on the it's part terrible. of Salieri's character. It, yeah. Like, you, I want you to write a mass for your father. And he doesn't I'm... say that, though. Herr Mozart? I have come to commission work from you. What work? A mass for the dead. What dead? Who is dead? A man who deserved a requiem mass and never got one. Who are you? I'm only a messenger. Yeah, the message is I'm I'm going to get you to write this for your father, and then I'm going to murder you and play it for you. Yeah, and he's dressed essentially as the ghost of the of of Father Mozart. Yeah, he's, he's dressed in the black cloak and the, with the tricorn hat and the double mask. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. You know, I, I've watched a lot of movies, Adam, in my time, but I don't think I've ever seen a murder plot so cruel and diabolical as this. Yeah. There's no machine guns or axes involved. It's it's psychological. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. The only thing that worried me was the actual killing. How does one do that? Hmm? How does one kill a man? Uh, it's one thing to 
dream about it. Very different when when you when you have to do it. The next scene is just this comic opera with that you know with that uh, the head of the theater in it and it you know crazy things with gold eggs coming out of the butt of a of a, a horse and and you see in the audience they're in like the cheap seats it's all just wood and people are standing in the aisles and they sing along three penny theater i think is what they called it in england three penny okay. opera that sort of thing it's poor man's theater people often forget shakespeare wrote every play with two sets of people in mind the high-minded stuff was for the wealthy but there was always remember there's always that one or two crude characters who just said stupid things yeah that was for the poor people in the cheap seats right and this is a whole opera for them oh, and yeah. Right. And so, yeah, that's right. This is where Mozart, after the opera, actually in the middle of the opera, like between acts, the main actor who's the head of the theater comes out and says, you should write for us here. And, and, the, and Constanzi says, oh, yeah, what will you pay him in advance? And I like he looks at him and says, I see you brought your manager. And, <laughs> and she says, oh, no, seriously, what will you pay in advance? Says, this isn't the national theater. I'll give you half the house. That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And Mozart wants to do it. Constanzi doesn't. But it's pretty clear he's desperate for money because in the next scene, which again was cut from the theatrical cut, is him going back to the noble one with the dogs saying, do you still want me to teach your daughter? And it's clearly been a few years now. But she says, well, she's married. She has kids of her own. Mm -hmm. Good day, Mozart. Like he throws him out of the house. Yeah. Doors over there. I'll let the uh, let the servant see you out. Yeah. And he comes in just looking absolutely disheveled just oh yeah just he's, awful he's like at this point it's clear there's something very wrong with him it's no longer just he he looks like crap after dad's death like he's clearly sick yeah and in the middle of the night the door knocks and mozart's afraid to answer it because it's clearly he thinks it's the uh, the masked figure and he says i'm working on it just just tell him i need more time but it's actually the actor from the, the, the poor man's theater and he sees the musical stuff says what is this? this is a mask for the dead what the hell is wrong with you and this is where we realize this is how Salieri's going to do it. He's going to work him to death. Because he's got to know that Mozart's writing this poor man's opera, which will be The Magic Flute, which, by the way, is a wonderful opera. And on the other hand, he's writing this mass. And now he's under pressure from the theater owner, like, get me my goddamn play. I need to start rehearsals. I've hired actors. I've paid for theater time. What's wrong with you? It's this big fight. And that's where we see Laurel again. And she runs back to... Salieri says, I can't do this anymore. He drinks, he's sick, he's out of his mind. They fight. There's no money in the house. The wheels are falling off the bus here. Oh, yeah, Mozart. in very short order. Um, and, you know, the thing about this movie is there's not a single violent act. I mean, I guess whipping the crazy people away at the beginning of the film, but that's not really like, there's no battles, no sword duels. No. It's all about people falling, rising and falling on their own. And it's interesting because Salieri bangs on the door the next night in his costume and says, I need this done. I need this done now. Here's a little bit of money, but it needs to get done. And yeah. Mozart flips. Remember? He starts dancing around with the candelabra in his hand. Mm -hmm. And his tongue sticking out and his eyes all cockeyed and jabby. Like he's, it's clear Mozart's gone mad or he's damn close. Like he's. Well, that and he's drunk out of his mind. I didn't, it's funny, I didn't get the impression he was drunk. I got the impression he's just so sick and mentally addled. But you may be right, maybe he is drunk. Well, I mean, in, um, in this scene, Constanza comes over and says, are, you're drunk again, aren't you? And he's sitting right. at his table and he's got a bunch of open wine bottles you're around right. him. You're right, you're right. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, and she, uh, does, isn't that where she flees? 
Uh, she doesn't. No, he, he flee goes yet. That's right. He sneaks off to a party because yeah. after you've been confronted with a man demanding you finish his work and your wife screaming at you, the thing to do is to go and get shit faced with a bunch of actors. That's a good idea. Yeah. He comes home. Wife is gone. So is the son. This is kind of funny because this is only the second time we see Mozart's mother-in-law and she's screaming, you're scum. I told her to go, go to the spa. And he isn't even paying attention, but he's sort of squinting and he looks at her. And after a while, we don't even hear her talk. We just hear squealing. And then we see her on the stage because she's now the main singer in the magic flute. And part of that is he heard her voice and realized she'd make a good singer. It's also that he probably couldn't get a decent actress to play the part. Yeah, that's probably yeah, a good portion of that as well. But uh, it it's is such a good character moment for Mozart yeah. where he's yeah. just completely disconnected with reality and yeah. all he's thinking about is music. Yeah. And my God, does he look like death in this next scene? Oh, yeah. And the next scene is the magic flute being played. And we notice that Solieri is there. He's hiding mm-hmm. because he could, he simply would not be seen at that. It would be, like, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter that Mozart is clearly on the outs socially. He, he, he couldn't be seen there. It's not socially acceptable. But there he is because he is still a great admirer of Mozart's work. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that never changes, even at the very end in the bedroom scene, which sounds really horrific, but it's not at all what we think it is. <laughs> um, even there where he's literally dr- he's grinding Mozart to his death, mm-hmm. even there it's clear he genuinely adores this man's music. You know what I mean? So he's there, and we see Mozart at the, this little plinky piano, which I'm sure you have a name for. Harpsichord. Thank you. And he's, you know, Mozart's playing his own music because this is low-budget theater, and he passes out. And Mozart, and he's dragged backstage, and Salieri shows up and says, you know, put him in the back of a handsome cab, you know, like a carriage. Yeah. And here's the interesting thing. This guy is high society. And what does he do? He sits on the, I'm not sure what you call it, the bench at the back of the uh, of the carriage outside where, like, you'd put your, your luggage. Yeah. Like, yeah and, I'm not and, sure and, exactly what that's called. That's where your servant would sit if he was riding mm-hmm. with you. And that's where Salieri sits to rush a, a dying Mozart back to his, his home. They take him back to his place. They lay him in his bed. He is soaked in sweat. He is, the makeup is impressive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looks like death warmed over. But it doesn't look fake. No. Mm -hmm. And he lies there in bed, still dressed as he was, you know, in in the coat and the whole nine yards, which is probably half the reason he's soaking wet because he's in four layers of of clothing. And he says, you know, I've got to get this work done. And Solieri says, no, don't worry about it. And then there's a knock at the door and it's actually just the actors from the magic flute saying, Hey, is he okay? And says, yeah, yeah, but you can't see him. And they hand him a bag full of coins and says, well, this is his cut from tonight. And Saliari goes back into the room and says, it was a man. And he says, if you can finish tonight, there will be twice as much in the morning. And he gives him the coins mm-hmm. like son of a bitch. He's going to do it. You yeah. Know? Just, just absolutely just pressing his face to the grindstone and it's it's it serves such a good double purpose because salieri needs this mass to be done so he can kill mozart and play it yeah he's yeah yeah that's the one thing you sort of mentioned and i think i sort of blew past you on it that he is going to claim it as his own and play it at at mozart's funeral yeah um this is my second favorite scene in the movie watching them collaborate Mm -hmm. him writing down the music and now, because you're a musician, this is, I'll be honest, this scene is why I wanted you here. Is this scene realistic? Now the orchestra. 
second bassoon and bass trombones with the basses, identical notes and rhythm. First bassoon, tenor trombones with the tenors. Don't go too fast. Do you have it? Don't go too fast. Do you have it? First bassoon, tenor trombone, what? With the tenors. Identical? Of course. The instruments I... doubling the voices. Now, trumpets and timpani, no. trumpets and D. No, no. Listen no, to me. I don't understand. Listen. Trumpets and D, tonic and dominant, first and third beats. It goes with the harmony. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I understand, yes. The way they talk, the way he takes notation, the way they seem to collaborate, did it make sense to you? Uh, not, not overly. I mean, like, if you're... If you're if you're talking in a on sort of a grand scale, like okay, I want it, I want it to start here, and I want arpeggios, and you, the descri- the description is not of the specific notes mm-hmm. that Mozart wants played. Yeah. It's the the movements that he wants played, yeah. and and it's Salieri interpreting them and using his knowledge of Mozart's style. Uh, style. Yeah. yeah, because he um, knows, like they they speak the same language, right? Yeah. If I mean, if you put. 99% of people in a room together and try to get them to speak like this. I don't think it will work. Maybe maybe because of the fact that these two men were musical geniuses. Yeah. I I could understand that, but I mean, personally, I I don't think I've met anyone at any point in my life who would be able to sit down and take this kind of notation and produce something that, you know, Mozart would yeah, find credible. See, to me, what made it seem realistic was when he says, he says he gives them a, you know, they're talking, and obviously we, we, we come to the mid, you know, midway through this. And he says, you know, he gives them a starting point and he says, like he's, I have no musical skills, but he starts yeah. giving the, the, the beat and the ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And because Salieri knows where he started and he knows the conventions, he understands what notes need to come next. Like if I were to say to you, Adam, I need you to write down this dialogue. The first line is, hi, how are you? Are you? Yeah. You know, th- it's like that, but obviously much more skillful. Like that's yeah. what, that's I, what to me makes it seem, feel realistic as a non-music person. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure that there are people out there who could sit down and have this kind of a conversation. Um, which is not at your level. It's, yeah, this is this is so far beyond me. Like the people that I knew that were studying composition in university, you know, even even they would probably balk at something like that, and it would be more of a more of an in depth discussion of, well, how exactly do we move through this phrase? Yeah, yeah but we're talking about two guys at the top of their game. Yeah, you know, um, uh, historical giants. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's funny, but Salieri is sort of mediocre. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry. Oh, he's mo- he's. He's he's written forty operas. That's mediocre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mediocre. Sure, when you're comparing, you know, mediocrity on screen beside Mozart, yeah, everybody's going to be mediocre. Yeah, right? take you know, Mozart I, out of the picture, and Salieri quickly rises. Yeah, these two guys, they are like their skill level is so high. Yeah, 
you know, and, and it's just, it's neat watching them. And it's clear that Solieri wants this to be a good piece for its own sake, not just because he's going to present it as a, as his own, but because he wants it to be a good piece because here's the chance in spite of his anger, in spite of everything, it's a chance to work with his idol. Mm-hmm. They go on for, you know, several minutes like this. And then we sort of, we sort of zip off to the, to the spa where, where Constanze and the daughter and the, and the son are. And she says, no, this is a mistake. I have to go home. And they arrive home. Mozart is passed out in the bed. And then there's a, the child's bed is in the room and Salieri is on there. And, you know, Mozart's still alive. He, he greets the son. I mean, he doesn't say anything, but he sort of holds him and the, the kid dumps the, you know, upends the bag of money and they both, the, the him and the son play with the, the, the money and Mozart has an argument with Constanze, of course. Now I understand a lot more why she hates Salieri. Yeah. Because of the nudity thing. Before I thought it was just that he wouldn't help with the, uh, with the position, uh, you know, to teach the cousin or the whatever of the emperor. And this is sort of the ultimate, God damn it, I, nothing goes right. Constanze sees what they've been working on, which is the mass, and she locks it up. So now he can't even take it for himself. Mm-hmm. He's screwed. And that's it. He dies and they bury him in a pauper's grave, which is true. Yep. He was, you know, and, and the way those worked is it, just as they show it more or less in the movie that he's put in a, a white bag, essentially a body bag in a wooden coffin with a flap at the bottom. And they ride him out to the country and they dump him in a mass grave and pour lie over it. And it's interesting to see who attends his funeral. Salieri, that woman he slept with, the actress. Yep. She's there and the family, right? The mother-in-law, the daughter and the kid. Mm -hmm. That's who shows up. No one else. The emperor doesn't show up. No one else from the court shows up. And it's just kind of sad. It is. It really reflects how many people Mozart was actually important to and how many people he was a a bubble to be displayed on a shelf. Yeah. And it's interesting because at the very end, when we finally go back to old Salieri sitting in the hospital, it's morning. Mm-hmm. He has spoke. Because remember, it was a morning. It was the night where he was injured. And at some morning, probably a few days later, the, uh, the priest came. Remember, the priest came first thing in the morning. He has talked all day. This, this story has taken him all day and all night. And it's dawn again. And the priest is crying. And he's exhausted. He's wrung out himself because he has been dragged through this journey of revenge and horror, just like the audience has. And he says, I am the patron saint of mediocrity. And an attendant comes and takes him out because he's in a wheelchair and takes him out among the other hospital patients, most of whom are clearly mentally ill. And he says, I absolve you. I absolve you. I absolve you all. And that's sort of it. Salieri is mad. Yeah. And you don't even know. Now I think of that scene, like the very last scene of Usual Suspects, where verbal Kent is walking on the street and his leg straightens up mm-hmm. and you realize, Oh my God, how much of it should I believe? You know what I'm talking about, right? From your yeah. suspects. Yeah. This is that except that verbal Kent is Kaiser, Kaiser Soze and he was lying on purpose here. Salieri has gone mad. How much should we believe? How much does he believe and how much of what he believes is real? And that's, I think what makes this story, not just good, but great. Because we as the audience are left to ask what here is true. We can look it all up, but that's that almost robs from the experience to look it all up and understand what is true and what is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. You, you have your closing notes of Salieri being 
wheeled through this mental hospital and the only thing that's ringing in his mind is Mozart's laugh and you have no idea of exactly how much he remembers, how much he infers and how much was just made up by his own little brain. Yeah. And is he doing that on purpose or is it he hallucinating? We have no idea. Mm -hmm. I think he actually believes everything he tells the priest. I believe so. Yeah, That's my opinion that he believes it. How much of it is true? I don't know. How much of it has formed in his head over the decades since Mozart's death? I don't know. But this is a man who watched himself die before he died. His music yeah. is forgotten. Yeah. This priest who is has a musical education, if you're a priest, you're re, you know, especially a Catholic priest in Austria, you have some education. And he has no idea who Mozart is. He has no idea who Salieri is. And he doesn't care. I mean, he's not mean about it, but it's, Salieri it, has died. Yeah. He's living in his, he's lived, he has survived his own death. And now there's nothing left. Yeah, it, it very much harkens back to the the old adage that you die twice. You die once when your body stops working, and you died when the last person thinks about you. Yeah, you die the second time. So we've gone through this movie. It's quite the journey. Um, mm. What do you think about it? What do you think about this film? I mean, I think that this movie is absolutely exceptional. It is It is done so well in so many different ways. I mean, we've, we've just spent almost two hours discussing this thing and there are so few things that we could nitpick and complain about yeah. everything else was was just praise and and that's what this movie gets is just mm-hmm. praise on absolutely everything i i stand by what i said before you know if this is if this is your first time watching it then maybe maybe just go ahead and watch the theatrical cut assuming it's uh, available i don't think it is but yeah. yeah but if if you go back and and you enjoy what you saw the first time i genuinely feel that when you watch back the second time go and see the director's cut it will add context it will add Mm -hmm. little extra bits and yeah it's it's 30 minutes of cut content from this movie Mm -hmm. and on the whole it's it's all beneficial most of it yeah some of it isn't but uh, like the dressing room scene i don't think it's particularly impressive i don't think the scenes with the the guy with the dog and the daughter are particularly useful either but sure you know it's funny you know we we know on this podcast my very favorite movie of all time is raiders of, of the lost ark Mm-hmm. this is my second favorite movie, but it's a better movie than Raiders. Raiders is still my favorite, but this movie is glorious. Yeah. It's beautiful to look at. It's beautiful to listen to. I own the soundtrack. I own the second soundtrack called more Amadeus, where they just added, you know, bits that got left out the first time. Okay. Um, it's how I came to know and love classical music. Uh, it's how I came to understand great drama. And to understand what great acting truly can be in F. Marie Abraham, and really everyone, but especially Abraham who played Salieri. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this movie is still being talked about and referenced in movies those many years later. I mean, yesterday came out in what, 2017, and they're still talking about, they're still referring to that movie. There's a reason this movie won 11 or eight Academy Awards or whatever it was, and there's a reason for that. There absolutely uh, is. And this is the best film we've done on this podcast in terms of just quality, I think. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. This is the finest piece of cinema that we have sat yeah. down and assessed. So, yeah, any final thoughts? Oh, you know what? Just go watch the movie. Go watch Just the go movie. and watch it. Even even if you genuinely don't feel like you're you have too much of an interest in old dead people and classical music... Go watch. It's it's a film in and of its own right without those caveats. Okay. And so to quote uh, the emperor, there it is. There it is. <laughs>